want to welcome you. My name is Brian White. I'm so glad you're here. Um, we, uh, we're grieving as a congregation, and, and I do want to share, if you don't know, our founding pastor, uh, Pastor Dale White, passed away Friday night. Um, Dale was a, a monumental uh, figure in the legacy of this church, but the entire Tri-Cities, and um, it's my uncle, and um, there's some, some complications. I just want to ask you to pray for our family right now. Uh, his wife, my aunt, at the time that he was uh, passing on, actually had to be life-flighted to Montana to uh, receive kidney treatment, and she and my cousin are over there, and so... Um, just lift up, uh, particularly Aunt Jane, um, and, and all of the family. Just a really difficult time. We have been preparing for this for a while. Um, it was neat. April started with uh, Dale. Dale was very famous for starting worship with, this is the Lord, day the Lord has made. And um, about two weeks ago, I, was, I, was, uh, I tried to go over every couple days and uh, be with the family for the last, I don't know, while. And... Um, one point, I, his bed was in the, the living room, and I walked in, and he was sleeping, and they were trying to get him up, and he was having kind of a hard, hard day. And so I walked up, and I got in his face, and I said, this is the day that the Lord has made! And he just, he, it was really funny. He was so happy. Was, and then we talked forever, and especially I told him we had a couple um, Holy Land trips coming up, and then he, he wanted to talk about the Holy Land trips, so it was really cool. But uh, what an amazing, amazing figure, and, and like I say we'll be celebrating uh, his life and his legacy um, in the future, but right now we're, we're just kind of focused on Aunt Jane, and uh, just thank you for your prayers, thank you for your support, uh, it does mean the world for our family. Today we're wrapping up a sermon series on the book of Daniel, uh, we've been going through the first half of Daniel, and Daniel takes place in a time called the Babylonian captivity, and that was a time when Babylon had invaded the Holy Lands, and they, they decimated the, the temple, and they, they just barbarically slaughtered God's children. But then uh, they took those who were remaining, who were still alive, and they dispersed them throughout the Babylon, Babylonian Empire. It's called the, the diaspora. You might have heard that phrase. It's uh, when uh, a farmer would, would disperse seeds, um, sowing seeds. And, and so God's children were dispersed. They were renamed with Babylonian names, and, and Daniel goes through this, we talked about this early in the series, and they were forced to take on Babylonian customs, they were forced to intermarry, they were forced to worship Babylonian gods. And the goal was just complete assimilation. Babylon, they had done this before, and they knew they could, they could turn an entire population, an entire people into Babylonians within a generation. This was their strategy. And so in the midst of a very hostile world, Daniel and his friends, they were faithful to God. And they found the more faithful they were, the more they thrived. And they became like superheroes for the, those in the diaspora and, and then on down, the Jewish population. So last week we came to the end of the Babylonian kings. If, if you were here last week, Babylon was conquered and Daniel still lives in Babylon. But now there's a new ruler named Darius. And Darius, he reorganized the government and he grafted the most talented Babylonians 
to run the government for him. And 80-year-old, at this point, if you do the math, 80-year-old Daniel was one of those. He rose to the top, became one of three administrators running the entire country, leapfrogged all kinds of people. This caused a lot of jealousy. And then it got worse because the king became very impressed with Daniel. And so he put him in charge of everybody. The people under Daniel, they, they tried to find some dirt on him. But he was absolutely clean. And so they cooked up a scheme that would force the king to have Daniel removed. Now, and I want to read that for you from Daniel chapter 6, uh, verses 6 through 7. The presidents and satraps conspired and came to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All of the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an interdict. Whoever prays to anyone, divine or human, for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions. The entire land could only pray for the king for 30 days. And this new ruler, you know, probably sounded like a good idea to him. Here's Daniel's response. Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room to open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and to praise him, just as he had done previously. So Daniel continued to pray toward Jerusalem three times a day. Why would he do this? Well, see, for the Jews, the temple was the place where heaven and earth came together. And even though the temple had been destroyed, it was still the place that God promised to meet the people. And there's some background from this, uh, from 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, and it explains why. 1 Kings chapter 8. Is, it's the story of uh, Samuel dedicating the temple. And, and you might go back and read it. It's fabulous. It's, it's, all kinds of stuff happens in, in this chapter. But a good chunk of the chapter is Solomon's prayer of dedication for the temple. And he pretty much hits everything in that prayer. Uh, it's very long. Even contingencies like what would happen if God's people were taken from Jerusalem? What, 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 what would go on there? And so Solomon said in his prayer, even when the people are in exile in a foreign land, if they pray toward the temple, God will hear their prayers and he will not forget them. So Daniel, he remembers Solomon's prayer is the point. And even though they were in exile, if they would just stay true to God, God would deliver them, stay true to them. So God, God promised he would meet people at the temple, the place where heaven and earth meet, regardless if the temple was there or not. If they would pray toward the temple, God would hear them. So Daniel was going to stay true to God. Now throughout the series, we've, we've talked about Babylon being more of a metaphor for a concept for us today, living as Christians we are living in the midst of Babylon. Babylon is trying to change our behavior. It's trying to water down our faith. And so we're, we're looking at strategies from Daniel to, to, to thrive in the midst of a sometimes very hostile world. And so as Christians, we need to realize 
as we read this section, Jesus took the place of the temple. This is a very important concept. Jesus became the place where heaven and the earth meet. This is why we turn to Jesus in prayer. God came, met us in Christ. Jesus became the place where heaven and earth meet. This is why we pray to the Father through Jesus Christ. But that's not all, because through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' followers were told become the body of Christ. That's what the New Testament calls us. We're the continued presence of Jesus in the world. This means our bodies are living temples. They're sacred. And don't hear me say that we're supposed to pray to our bodies. That's not what I'm saying at all. But just like we talked about last week, our bodies are holy. They are sacred places where we're able to experience God through the work of the Holy Spirit. First, King, First Corinthians excuse me, 6.19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Our bodies are, are, are temples where the Holy Spirit lives. The Spirit resides within us. Heaven and earth can come together. It's a holy place. And, and I just, it's so important. Are we treating our bodies as sacred? We're going to come back to that. Back to Daniel. I, I, I think Daniel knew he was being set up. Daniel was a very intelligent man. Obviously, you know, he knew how politics works. He just kept rising to the top, right? So Babylonian kings, they keep putting him in charge for a reason. So he would have seen through the trap is the point. He would have known what these people are trying to do. They're trying to set him up. So Daniel, faced with a serious problem, deny God... And pray to the king or stick to his faith with the assurance that, that God is with him. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. I just think this story is a case study of Matthew 6.33. Daniel's met with a crisis, right? And, and, and what are we wired to do when we're faced with a crisis? Well, either fight or flight, just on a biological level. When you fight, you see red, and you make mistakes. You don't think, you just come out swinging, you know, full speed, rush in, take no prisoners. There's also the flight option, which you cave. I mean, you're just paralyzed in fear, you retreat, you back down, you pray to the king is the point. Darius, and you deny your God. Fight or flight. Daniel provides us a third option in the midst of a crisis. And it's a much, much, much better option. Daniel's faced with a den of lions. You know, I think we're too used to this story. I was thinking about this this week, and you know, we, we think of it kind of like a cute Sunday school story for kids. You know, lions, and, you know, this wasn't G-rated. This wasn't made for kids. 
they kept lions very hungry in a big pit, and they kept them hungry for a purpose, because whenever they got mad at somebody, they just throw them in there, you know, right? And they didn't have a chance. But think about, this would not have been a quick death. I won't go into the gory details, you know, but think about how a house cat plays with, like, a mouse or a rodent. Now, I haven't had the best experience with cats over the years. You know, Tammy and I, we had a, a cat one point uh, when we were first married and we were in student housing and we couldn't have a, a, a I was going to say a real pet, but, um, <laughs> but, but couldn't have a dog. So we got a cat, and we got it from the, 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 the pound, and, and it was a disaster. It was totally feral. It was wild. It just ripped everything apart. So, you know, about five years ago, we, we used to live uh, I don't know, about a block and a half away for, for you know, the first 10 years we were here. And so about five years ago, this cat just appeared at our house. And, and um, we were about to move out to the country. And so he, he kind of bonded with me, you know, and it was an odd thing. And even though I'm not a cat person, you know, I, I, we thought we'd take him with us, right? And so we talked with the people we were buying the house from and, you know, can I just stick him in the shop until we get there and he can be a mouse cat? And, and they were fine with that. And so um, the, the family that we were buying a place from, and so we, we relocated him is the point. And then by the time we got out there, he was gone. And I just kind of figured he got, you know... Coyotes got him, yeah. <laughs> but then about a year later, I think it was, one of our neighbors, um, they moved, and then they found the cat living in this house. And um, he was just emaciated. I mean, it was, it was horrible. And so, you know, the, the Tuckers, they needed a barn cat at that point. They live over there with us as well. And, and so uh, he was starved. We put him in there and, you know, Terry fed him really well. Hi, Terry. I know she's watching online right now. And um, so he put on some weight, all right? And, and then my mother-in-law's dog passed away and he really wasn't a very good mouser. And so we, we just took him over to my mother's laws, and he stayed there for a couple of years, and he ate really well there. And so, you know, we, the point is we had to find him a new home just kind of recently. And you can see where this is going. You know, we have a new house cat named Baxter. <laughs> and he's, he's kind of bonded with me, which is hilarious. And he's almost as big as my boxer, so the next one. <laughs> He's not a small cat. And, and you know, it's, it's freaky because he, he, he wake, I'll wake up, and, and he, he's, he's big. He was like over 30 pounds when we got him. And so I'll wake up, and somehow he snuck into the bed, and he's staring at me. I'll open my eyes, and he'll start purring. Because <laughs> he knows I'm going to get up and feed him is the point. And so, but, but he is, he's, you know, he's, he's on an exercise plan, and, and <laughs> he kind of takes up the whole yoga mat. He's lost some weight. He really has. He really has. And he's, like I say, you know, he's become my early morning friend, and, you know, we, we get up, and he eats, and then he, I do my Bible study, and he sits with me in person. So... But the point is, why I'm saying, so like any cat, here's the deal. You know, like I say, I'll, I'll wake up and he'll just be staring at me and he'll purr because he knows I'm going to feed him. But if he was four times his size, 
I would be his breakfast. I mean, this is what cats do, right? I mean, they, he would just, he would tear me limb from limb and, you know, he'd, he'd just, yeah. So Daniel in the lion's den. It was not meant to be a sweet story with Larry the Cucumber, you know? <laughs> this is a torturous death, you know? Cats are like, Arr! This would have ranked pretty high on Daniel's crisis meter. And he would have hit, you know, fight or flight. And with all of this, when we hit crisis in our lives, I think there's a great, great, great lessons for us right here because we are hardwired for fight, fight and flight. But there's a much higher option, and, and, and Daniel teaches that in this chapter. Daniel 6, 11. The conspirators came, found Daniel praying and seeking mercy before his God. And then they approached the king and said concerning the interdict, O oh, king, did you not sign an interdict that anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, within 30 days except to you, O oh, king, shall be thrown into a den of lions? And the king answers, The thing stands fast. According to the law of Medes and the Persians, cannot be revoked. And they responded to the king, Well, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O oh, king. Or to the interdict you have signed. But he is saying his prayers three times a day. Now, I don't know if you hear a couple weeks ago when we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. But they were in the midst of a crisis as well, if you remember back. And, and they stuck to their God. They were actually thrown into the fiery furnace. And we talk about how there are kind of three outcomes uh, that can happen when we're faced with a crisis. We pray to God, maybe it's a health crisis, maybe you just really, really messed up, and you're in a crisis of your own making. I mean, we've all, we've all been there. There are so many potential fiery furnaces, as many as there are in this room, and I got 57 of them if you don't have one. So, joking. So, we choose to be like Daniel, and we pray to God... As we're about to be thrown into this den of lions. And then the stones rolled. In front of the mouth of the pit. And we're in darkness. And we can hear the roars surrounding. And they're getting closer. And there's no way out. In the midst of the crisis. We can fight. We can flight. Or we can do what Daniel did. And we can pray. But we don't need to turn to Jerusalem is the point. Jerusalem was the place where heaven and earth met. Jesus became the new temple. The place where heaven and earth met. Meet. We turn to Jesus. We pray for deliverance. To the Father. Through Jesus the Christ. And how does God deliver us? What do you pray for? Well, we talk about this in the fire furnace. There's, there's kind of three options, right? We can pray, God, deliver me from this fiery furnace. That's just a hit-the-ball-out-of-the-park miracle. The test results come back. And they say, I don't see where this mass, there's supposed to be a mass here, and, and, and it's not there, and we don't see anything. That, that God can do that. I've seen this happen. 
in this room, there's people who recently have had that happen. God can pull us out of the flames of the fiery furnace, and you get a pass. And whenever I pray with people, that is the first thing that we do. Uh, you know, we, we pray for this option, obviously. It's what we all want, right? That was what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were hoping for back in the fiery furnace a couple weeks back. Just deliver us from this fire. But that's not always how God chooses to work. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they knew this. And so, you know, sometimes deliverance means perishing in the flames and then being delivered into the arms of God. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they talked about it. They, they were prepared for this. This was something that they really expected. I think it was the one that they expected. The king wanted them to worship an idol, if you remember Daniel 3, 16 through 18. And their response was, if our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire and out of your hand, O God, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that... We will not serve your gods. We will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. We are willing for this to be the means of our death. God can choose to extract us from these flames. If not, we will wake up in the safety of the waiting arms of the Father. And that happens. It really happens. That happened for Pastor Dale Friday night. You know, I prayed with him quite a bit over the last several weeks. And he was 91. And just a couple hours before he died, the hospice nurse and I and, and Crystal, who was the caregiver, we were the only ones there in the room. And um, remember the hospice nurse, she, she was just amazed at how strong he was. She's, we talked about it, but, but his body, like ours, was designed to wear out. All of our bodies are designed. This is not our final home. We're all going to die of something. Our home is in the house that Jesus says we're prepared, not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. And Pastor Dale's there. And someday, by the grace of God, we're going to be there as well. But, but see, God had another plan for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God choose, chose to use another way to deliver them. And, and they went into the flames, but they were saved through the flames. They were saved in the midst of the fire. God was there. And, and, and God kept them safe. The king saw them in the furnace. If you remember the story, walking in the midst of the flames, unharmed, the only thing that was flammable in that whole thing was their bonds. If you remember, they walked out without any bonds. They burned away. Fiery flames were a refiner's fire, but they were fine. But what held them was melted away. But that wasn't all, because the king saw a fourth man in there, if you remember the story. And he said, someone who looked like a son of God was there in the midst of the flames with them. 
Because God met them in the fire. God kept them safe in the midst of the flames. God was with them. God never promised to take us out of the valley of the shadow of suffering. But he did promise to walk through it with us. And even carry us when need be. If every single time we pray to God, save me from the fire, deliver it, what, what would that really accomplish? I mean, sometimes we need the heat of the flames to burn away our bonds, the things that hold us back. Then, then we can be set free from our past, and we can set free from our baggage. Leave the garbage behind is the point. The stuff that's holding us back, the things that whisper in our ears, those voices that say, you can't do this. You'll never amount to anything. You're not good enough. They're going to find out. Daniel chose to pray as he was thrown into the lion's den. Then the king gave the command. And Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to Daniel, May your God whom you faithfully serve deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No food was brought and sleep fled from him. Like his three friends, God, God didn't choose to pull Daniel out of the lion's den. But also like his three friends... He was not saved from the lion's den through death. He was saved in a very, very different way. They had rolled the stone in place. They had sealed him in this tomb. He was in darkness the entire time. Now, if this sounds familiar, and I hope it does, it sure sounded familiar to the early Christians as they looked back after Jesus' resurrection. Listen to the next couple of verses of the story. Then at the break of day, the king got up and hurried to the den of lions. When he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried anxiously to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you faithfully serve been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, Oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no wrong. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. Because he had trusted in God. The king gave a command. Those who accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives, before they reached the bottom of the dead lions, overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't the only ones that found God in the midst of the fire. Daniel found God right smack in the midst of that lion's den. So they wake up early. They want to check on him to retrieve his body. 
They roll back the stone and they discover he's alive. And I can think of another story of a stone being rolled away and hope being found right smack in the midst of complete death. And so often this is how God works. God could have swooped down and saved Daniel. Sure. And God could have swooped down and saved his three friends. Absolutely. And God could have swooped down and saved Jesus from the cross. Sure. But God had a much larger view. A much larger plan. A greater salvation. Not by extracting him from the cross, but through the cross... This is where salvation is found. Daniel's friends were thrown into the fire. Their bonds were burned away. Nothing else burned, remember? Just the thing that held them captive. That's what was gone because they found God in the midst of the heat of the flames. Daniel was saved in the midst of the lion's den. Not in spite of the lion's den, but because of the lion's den. Listen to what the king decreed. I make a decree. All my royal dominion, people should tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion has no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, for he has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. That would have never happened if God had miraculously pulled Daniel out of the lion's den. It wouldn't have happened if the lions had destroyed Daniel and he was just delivered into heaven. But by saving Daniel in the midst of the lion's den, the power of God was experienced in an entirely different way. Because hope was found. A new day began. Not just for Daniel, but for the entire world around him. When the stone is rolled away, hope is found. Life is experienced. We become a new creation. And we get to start again, healed and whole. You know, so often we're, we're just so focused on the mirror that we don't see the possibility of what's going to happen through that window if we stop and we pray. And we offer the situation, we offer the crisis to God. God can force our crises into beauty that we would never, ever, ever see. God can redeem our pain, redeem our suffering. He can bend evil into good, and others can witness God's work around us and bring hope that we would never, ever, ever experience and never see. When we offer our hurt, and we offer our shame, and we offer our fear, and we offer our anxiety to God, God rolls away the stone, and we all experience the power of the resurrection. Would it have been great for Daniel if God would have pulled him out of this mess? Yeah, no question. But it was a greater work that was witnessed to the entire world that we're still talking about to this day is the point. Because so much of our pain and our suffering is caused by the things that we do. What we have done. I mean, if we're honest, right? But God can extract that pain 
and leave us with beauty. And what's even greater is when we turn to Jesus and we offer that pain to God and others are able to witness that work. And God's hope and God's healing and God's new possibilities are experienced because we were there in the midst of the lions and God was with us. Now maybe just maybe that junk and that garbage that we created is finally put to death. It's burned away. And then the power of the resurrection is experienced. And what was worthless becomes worth something as it's redeemed and we're able to share in the glory of God's work. What needs to be burned away? When you're faced with a crisis, are you just thinking about getting out of there? Or are you wanting to get out of jail free card? Or are you expecting to experience the reality of the presence of God? Jesus is the place where heaven and earth come together. And when that happens in our lives, the world around us experiences God's presence. These are the things we should pray for. We pray with me. Lord, I thank you on this day for hope. I thank you for your presence. In every season, from the days of youth and health to the difficult seasons. We thank you for your presence, comforting us and enveloping us, even in the midst of the fire. We thank you for walking with us and for those times when you just pull us out of the flames, Lord. And for the day that we will wake up with you. But also for those moments that we find in the midst of the darkness, we're not alone. That you're journeying along with us. We thank you for redemption. In your son's name we pray. Amen.